Taiwan shares closed above the 18,000-point mark on the last day of trading before the Lunar New Year break. Although the session started off turbulent, tech shares rallied, leading the index into positive territory. Looking back at the year of the rabbit, the Taiex soared by 3,164 points. The last day of trading before the Lunar New Year saw early fluctuations until buying sentiment led a rebound in AI shares. The TIEX closed 36 points higher at 18,096, marking a prosperous year of the rabbit and the first ever year-end finish above 18,000 points. But institutional investors sold a net 13 billion NT. There was a strong wait-and-see sentiment. That's because the timing of this year's Spring Festival is risky. Investment was heavily concentrated in AI-related shares. AI stocks rallied rather sharply, making significant gains. TSMC picked up 11 NT to close at 646 NT. MediaTek, Quanta, Gigabyte and Wistron also posted gains, bringing the TIEX up 0.2% on the last trading day of the Year of the Rabbit. Since 2013, the market has closed down on just three occasions on the last day of the lunar year. On years that it closed up, the average gain was 0.2%. Looking back at the year of the rabbit, the TIEX rose by 3,164 points. Experts warn traders to keep an eye on the global market during the seven-day market holiday. While we're on break, the U.S. will be releasing some economic data. It's better to hold on to fewer shares during the Lunar New Year and then reassess after the holidays based on the market changes. For the TIEX, how the year of the dragon begins will depend on factors such as international geopolitics, the U.S. economy, and interest rate adjustments by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Experts recommend cautious observation in the days ahead. TSMC will hold an inauguration ceremony for its plant in Japan's Kumamoto Prefecture on February 24th. The event will be attended by top company executives, founder Morris Chang, and Japan's prime minister. Observers say that Chang's visit to Japan could carry diplomatic undertones, with Chang potentially conducting negotiations for Taiwan's government. TSMC will hold an inauguration ceremony for its plant in Kumamoto on February 24th. The event will be attended by TSMC CEO CC Wei, as well as TSMC Chair Mark Liu, who is set to retire in June. The plant is hailed as a key component of Japan's semiconductor ambitions. Japan Prime Minister Kishida Fumio will be present. TSMC founder Morris Chang and his wife Sophie Chang, who traditionally spend the Lunar New Year in Hawaii, are expected to head over to Kumamoto to witness the historic moment. Morris Chang and his wife will participate in the event in a way similar to APEC. It's possible he will go with instructions from Taiwanese government officials that he'll go to relay information or even to negotiate. We'll have to wait and see. Over the past three years, TSMC has pushed ahead with its global expansion. After announcing a fab in the U.S. in 2021, the chipmaker announced a Kumamoto venture with Sony and Denso with an investment of 1.1 trillion yen. The fab will specialize in 12, 16, 22, and 28 nanometer processes, producing 55,000 wafers a month. 
Trial production will start in April, with mass production to kick off by year-end. TSMC has also announced a second plant that will specialize in 7 and 16 nanometer processes. Currently in Taiwan, the 7 nanometer process output is about 180,000 to 190,000 wafers. The capacity utilization rate is just 50 to 60 percent. AMD and NVIDIA have an urgent need for 3 nanometer technology. TSMC's main focus is still its plant in Arizona, so it's not impossible that its main clients will turn to other suppliers like Intel or Samsung. TSMC's Kumamoto project was warmly received by the local government, which offered subsidies covering more than half the cost. But as TSMC expands abroad, maintaining high-capacity utilization rates will remain its biggest challenge. President-elect Lai Qingde met supporters in Hualien on Monday as part of his pre-inauguration thank you tour. He was joined by Vice President-elect Xiaobi Kim, who had spent the past week recovering from COVID-19. Xiao, a former Hualien legislator, was warmly received by the crowd. I can see that many of the projects we worked on, including the expansion of Provincial Highway No. 9, are still making progress step by step. Several new sections of road have already been completed. In this past election, our supporters in Hualien never gave up on us. They always stood by us, and my heart is filled with gratitude. In the digital age, we can use social media to invite friends to join our groups. We can also easily and quickly inform them of our vision and our achievements. The DPP's presidential ticket received about 25% of the vote in Hualien compared to the KMT's 50%. Speaking to Hualien supporters, Lai admitted that county had been a challenge for his party. He said that for the 2026 local elections, the DPP plans to start campaigning early through grassroots outreach, and talent recruitment. KMT caucus convener Fu Quinqi wants to create a special investigation unit to tackle corruption. The unit would be directed by the legislative Yuan and would have the right to hold hearings and legally require truthful testimony. The proposal has drawn criticism from the Green Camp, which fears that investigations would be used as a political tool. The Taiwan People's Party says it will wait for more details before commenting. We're fully committed to pushing for a special investigation unit in Parliament that has the right to hold hearings, conduct investigations, prohibit contempt for Parliament and require truthful testimony. We want to legally institute this. Speaking at a banquet in Hualien, KMT lawmaker Fu Quinqi proposed the idea of a legislative investigation unit. Critics call it an attempt to unlawfully expand power in violation of the Constitution. As the DPP has disbanded the Special Investigation Division, we the Parliament have a right and responsibility to safeguard the public interest, to ensure that our nation's operations are transparent, and to provide the greatest protection to the people. After his long tenure as King of Hualien, Fu Kunqi now wants to be the Xi Jinping of the Legislative Yuan. Setting up a legislative investigation unit is no different from brazenly creating execution chambers to punish dissenting officials who are guilty until proven innocent. It's a flagrant act against democracy, an attempt to expand one's own power. The Taiwan People's Party had called for parliamentary reform on the campaign trail, but it declined to comment on Fu's proposal. 
With major policies like this, especially with regard to how their legislation is designed, we have to exercise caution. We are still not entirely clear on the details of Convener Fu's proposal, on what the investigation unit entails, and so it's hard to comment. Each party caucus has its own position on future legislation. We must wait for the caucuses to formally present their proposals. We have to see the provisions to know what the details are. It's a bit early to weigh in now. The White and Green camp say they'll wait and see what Fu's plan entails. With the two camps combined holding a majority, they're set to have significant sway on the bill's trajectory. Today, we meet a Taiwanese-German academic and radio host who is passionate about animal rescue. Shanning Poso Hutz moved to Taiwan with her family four years ago. Her great love is rescuing animals. She dedicates herself to the Act for Animals Rescue Center. She also has six of her own pet cats at home. Colleagues say she has fostered upwards of 120 vulnerable animals in the last few years. Hey. Two-year-old Molly has a partially undeveloped cerebellum, which causes problems in her balance. She also has epilepsy and needs regular medicine daily. Shangning Pastohoitz takes care of her in her free time after work. As a lover of small animals, the young Pastohoitz told herself that she would care for rescue animals when she grew up. That commitment held. Since moving back to her mother's native country, Taiwan, she's adopted six cats. When we lived in Yangmingshan, Tarzan was tiny and alone on the street. We rescued him and brought him home. My daughter Sophie takes care of him, so Tarzan thinks she's his mom. When she first arrived in Taiwan, Pasta Hoitz joined a group to become an animal foster carer and help more abandoned animals find new homes. She's helped us here a lot. She raised the money for some of our equipment. Sometimes when we need something, she'll buy it for us out of her own pocket. I don't know how much time she spends on it, but she fosters one or two animals a week, at least as far as I can see. So overall, she must have taken in at least 120 dogs and cats. Pasta Hoyt has a Taiwanese mother and a German father. She spent many years living with her mother in Germany and always had hopes of starting her own family. So it's easy for her to imagine how much a rescue animal needs love and affection. Aunties, uncles, and lots more, brothers, thank you for welcoming us to Taiwan. To live here, to have fun here, I'm so happy here, I love you. Four years after settling in Taiwan, Pasta Hoitz is surrounded by warm and loving family. She loves her job working for German language radio in Taiwan and is happy to contribute to Taiwan's vibrant culture. A lawmaker is urging the government to tighten inspections on oyster imports from Vietnam. DPP legislator Chen Tingfei says the volume of Vietnamese oyster imports has grown 20-fold in just five years, raising concerns that the oysters may actually be from China. She says that the increase in imports is hurting local oyster farmers. Over in Tainan, the local government has launched a Tainan oyster brand that lets consumers know that they're buying local. Egg is ladled onto fresh oysters sizzling on the griddle. 
This oyster omelette is a beloved Taiwanese snack. But do you know where the oysters in your omelette come from? These are the numbers on Vietnamese oyster imports. In 2019, 201 tons were imported. That jumped to 3,937 tons in 2023. It's no wonder the oysters grown along the Tainan coast aren't selling. Furnishing data from the Customs Administration, Tainan lawmaker Cheng Tingfei said that Vietnamese oyster imports had grown 20-fold over the past five years, hurting local oyster farmers. She also raised concerns that the oysters could actually be from China and relabeled as Vietnamese in order to enter Taiwan. There aren't that many oysters in Vietnam. How could the numbers explode like that in such a short time? Could it be that they are actually relabeled Chinese oysters? During the Spring Festival period, from January 27th to February 14th, we are ramping up our inspections. Usually, our sampling rates range between 2 and 10 percent. We've increased that to a range of 20 to 50 percent. During this festival period, our sampling rate will be as high as 50 percent. Until February 14th, the FDA will step up inspections on imports. It's also asked food vendors to clearly label the country of origin of their products. Even with good cold chain logistics, you can't say that imported oysters are at their freshest after six or seven days in transit. Food safety checks and inspections on oyster imports should be carried out to the strictest standards. The central government has ramped up inspections, while local governments are promoting a Tainan oyster brand. After half a year of preparation, the brand has officially launched, allowing consumers to immediately see the origin of oysters. Many local oyster farmers have applied for the certification. They say they are not opposed to imports, but that the government should launch complementary measures to protect local farmers. Since the pandemic, many restaurants have had trouble hiring. One fried rice shop in Taizong's Yizong Shopping District is looking to get around the problem by employing a robotic chef. A person only needs to prepare the ingredients, and three minutes later, the machine will serve up a steaming plate of rice. Another spot at the Donghai Shopping District allows customers to make themselves instant noodles and even pay the bill on their own. Dump in the rice and ingredients and watch as it cooks quickly over high heat. But this fried rice isn't made by a chef. It's entirely automated. It tastes all right. It's not too different from what I'd normally get. In the Yijung shopping district, this old fried rice restaurant is trying out a new technology. An employee just needs to prepare the ingredients and the machine will add them itself when ready. Three short minutes later, the order is done. Each dish can be made with consistency. This is to say that anyone can do it. It makes everyone's job easier. The machine costs 200,000 NT, while hiring a chef would cost about 50,000 NT a month. This means the owner can break even in just four months. Now there are four of them that can all run at the same time. Another restaurant in the Donghai shopping district is not only automated, but most of the time there's no one there at all. First order what you want, then get a number and grab a packet of noodles and add-ons yourself. Press the button on the machine and in five minutes a broiling bowl of noodles is ready to eat. It's new. 
my first time eating at a place without any staff. Here you can add your own kimchi, rice cakes, that sort of thing. It's kind of Korean style. As restaurants have trouble hiring, more are turning toward automation. It's also become a gimmick to drive traffic among the competitive school crowds. To save on personnel costs, one noodle restaurant leaves the entire process up to the customer from cooking to checkout. But how can the owner avoid theft? In the tiny space, there are five cameras and a screen right by the entrance where diners can watch themselves eat, knowing they're being recorded. An employee also comes by every once in a while to check in. Against the wall are stacks of Korean instant noodles, all free for the taking. No one is working in this restaurant, but don't assume that no one is watching. Over by the entrance, there's a security camera. There's also another if you look to the right above the register. There's even one looking at you by the free area. There are cameras to stop thieves. Who would want to steal something like instant noodles anyway? There are five cameras in this tiny shop. There's even a screen to broadcast the live footage for everyone to see, warning customers not to get any ideas. When we sold chicken breast and sous vide chicken, it got stolen. But I thought it was within acceptable costs. If it was stolen, it probably means they just took it without ordering. The cameras aren't just there to keep tabs on customers. They also help the employees see if items need restocking. We're pretty busy these days, so we need to have someone for every shift, except for overnight after 1am. Small profits, but high turnover. Customers can come in 24 hours a day to order, pay for and make their own meal. But even with the cameras watching, people still try to get away with taking a little extra. Now for a trip to New Taipei, where a couple are in reinventing some of Taiwan's beloved snacks. Have you ever had rice noodles with squid and prawns? How about noodles with braised pork belly? These restaurants got into the business in the second half of life and brought lots of creativity into their unique menu. Crispy fish crackers sit neatly in a row. This surf and turf noodles features rice noodles soaking up bone broth. It's packed with large intestines, fresh oysters, and young squid. The chewy squid are a perfect foil to the silky noodles. Squid and shrimps go in the pot and simmer on low so as to not overcook. The bone broth is seasoned with katsuobushi. The chef adds stew, intestines, oysters, shrimps, and squid with ease. The fish crackers are the finishing touch, giving a slight crunch. The squid come from Kan Ding in Jilong. The seafood all has to marinate fully so you can taste its fresh, delicious flavors without getting overcooked. These noodles feature Japanese-style braised pork belly. The chef has combined rice noodles with elements of Japanese ramen. There's even a soft-boiled egg on top. This stinky tofu has been deep-fried twice, first on high to set its shape, then again to get it crispy. It's crackly on the outside and tender on the inside. I used to work in trade. My husband made perfume. When we jumped into this business, people wondered how we could go from perfume to stink. My husband was seriously injured and couldn't really go back to his old working life, so that's why we decided to get into snacks. The couple once worked in trade and perfume, but had a major life transition after 50. Now they're experts in rice noodles, stinky tofu, and the art of running a small business. 
Turning now to your weather. Forecasters say that a cold air mass will sweep in Wednesday, bringing damp and chilly weather to all parts of Taiwan until Friday or Lunar New Year's Eve. Conditions will start to dry up over the weekend, but low temps are expected to linger across the west coast. Let's hear from a forecaster. 昨天的晚上七点半，在马祖地区是有今年的第一道春雷。那在今天清晨大概五六点的时候，At 7:30 p.m. yesterday, this year's first lightning storm, or what we call spring thunder, occurred in Mazu. Earlier today, at 5 or 6 in the morning, spring thunder was also reported in the region from Taoyuan to Xinzhu. Starting February 7th, the weather will be affected by a cold air mass, a strong continental air mass. Low temperatures will be felt for several days, particularly on the morning of Lunar New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and the second day of the Lunar New Year. Parts of Taiwan, and especially northern Taiwan, could see lows of 10 degrees or below. From Wednesday to Friday, you can expect lows of 11 degrees or less along the upper half of the island. Temperatures will only be slightly higher in other areas, with lows from 13 to 15 degrees. In the north, there will be a chance of heavy localized showers and snow at altitudes above 3,500 meters.